Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Happy to Meet Cute. We have basically the most amazing episode ever today. We are so, so excited about today's guest. Um, but before we do that, we have our little intro. This is Fallon Ballard here with my amazing, fantastic, wonderful, gorgeous co-host, <laughs> Courtney Kay. My God. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have any creative ones, so I just had to add more. <laughs> I am here with my stunning, breathtaking, talented, creative, caring co-host, Fallon Ballard. Thank you, friend. Um, I mean it. Same. Back at you. I know we are very excited to get to this episode, but we do have some questions we posted a little ama on our instagram stories yesterday and a couple of you responded with some very good questions some yes. thoughtful some just fun <laughs> yes we, we love them and um so we're going to answer those before we get to our stellar episode for today that i'm so excited about so excited okay I'll save the fun, fun question for last. I love that. Do you want to start? Um, do you want me to start with the one I got? Yeah, go for it. Okay. What does your outline process look like? Do you use a journal or a computer program? Oh, okay. Well, as we all know, I don't outline. But what I do is take a lot of handwritten notes and I have... You can't see it right now, but behind me, I have a stack of like 10 different spiral notebooks because I do a different notebook for each project that I'm working on. So like I have a notebook for each book. I have a podcast notebook. I have like, so I am actually that writer that buys the pretty notebooks and then uses them. Like mm -hmm. they don't just sit around in my house. They actually get used. Um but yeah, I just do like a lot of messy notes about ideas that I have and things I think might happen that usually don't end up happening. <laughs> <laughs> they all get handwritten in my messy, can't read it writing. <laughs> I love that. I actually, I also get a notebook for each project and um, oftentimes... I'll lose that notebook and I'll have to grab like whatever's <laughs> near me. So I'll have like what's supposed to be the dedicated notebook and then bits and pieces in every other notebook. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> but yes, I definitely, my notebooks are well used. <laughs> yes. Yes. You got to have them. I actually had a time during the pandemic where I ran out of notebooks because, you know, normally what I do is like, when I'm just out shopping and I see pretty ones, I just buy them, but I wasn't out shopping at all. And so I was like, oh my God, I'm yeah. out of notebooks. Like, yeah. The, <laughs> the world is truly ending. I have come to the end yeah. of my notebook stash. And it's the back to school sales that really, oh, the, yeah. those are the prime time. I have to say Home Goods is one of my favorite spots for notebooks Ooh. because they always have really pretty ones. Um, and I'm very picky. It has to be a spiral. So I have to, I have mm -hmm. like a very specific kind that I like and they always have good ones. Mine has to be a spiral too because I like to splay it open. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. Um, okay. 
kind of along that line, um, not so much about outlining, but we did get a question about our best revision tips um, yeah. or kind of like what your revision process is. Okay. Revision process. Um, it, you know, it's tough because I feel like my processes are always constantly evolving. Mm-hmm. Um, and each project is new and different. Totally. Um, so right now, I, I guess to go hand in hand with these two questions, my outlining process is looking like, um, a huge brain dump. <laughs> a big brainstorm with friends or um, just kind of by myself, like just going down every road that your brain wants to go down. Totally. Um, and then kind of realizing what's working, what's not kind of unlocking different things. It's so much like a puzzle, right? Getting the right ideas down. Mm-hmm. Um, from that point, I-, I can usually get a before I actually do the brain dump, sorry, I have a pitch. Like I have a really concise premise that I want to nail. Um, and that's usually the idea spark. Like what if this happened? What Like it doesn't have to be a fully polished pitch. It could just be the idea spark. And yeah. then going down that road of who these characters are and why this moment for them and why, you know, what else is going on in their life? What do they do? What do they want to do? Um, What's like their wound that needs to be healed by the end of this story? Uh, You know, and then how, how are we going to link because I write romance, how are we going to link the character and the love interest to kind of fill in their, each other's journeys? Um, so all these questions, all these things become like a big spiral. And then I'll go ahead and uh, whittle it down to actually, like, I can usually see the project trajectory of the story in my brain, kind of like I see the months of a calendar <laughs> in, in my brain. Like it's, it's, um, what would the word be? Consecutive. Mm-hmm. And so like pieces are missing, uh, not like the calendar, but okay, that was a really bad example but like pieces are missing in my head that I'll then need to go fill in right like I I can usually see actually I don't always see the very beginning but I'll see like the meet cute or the first the inciting incident and then it and then it's like you do the backstory to fill in how you get there um and then I might be able to see like a big turning point or twist or the moment where they um, finally get over themselves and fall in love. Um, or I'll see, you know, the third act conflict or, and usually have an idea of the ending. Yeah. Like here's where they start. Here's where they end. And a lot is missing. And then, so I'll end up filling in like a whole outline of how to get there. And only because I tend to be a really lean drafter. And so my outline is almost like my first draft. Yeah. Um, And I'm learning how to go down all the different avenues and hopefully make it so I don't have to write like five first drafts. (laughs) Um, I could just write, you know, like 25 outlines. Hopefully this is my goal. This is my, my goal for myself. But so then revising, tackling that 
in revisions, it just really depends on where the project is at. Like I have had to fully scrap, um, like I know within the case of Heartbreak, my second book, I had to fully scrap the entire first draft, go back and re-outline. And a lot of the time, the premise doesn't change. The characters don't change. Um, but it's more like, okay, within the case of Heartbreak, I had these different subplots that were very discombobulated. Mm-hmm. They didn't connect with the main conflict and they didn't propel the plot forward. So something I have to do in my head is make sure my story is stacked up like dominoes. If you were to take something out, it's all going to crash down. Hmm. And I knew that draft wasn't working because there were no, there was no domino effect, um, which meant that the pacing was off, which meant that um, the external like conflicts and plot, something was wrong. Yeah. So my poor little character was just walking around whining all the time, <laughs> um, you know, without having any real external reason for the whining. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, I guess it's just going with your gut because you're going to feel like I had the outline. I had everything, but something was just off. And I finally figured it out when I realized, oh, it's to do with the external conflict and I don't have enough of that. So I yeah. literally had to go back and re-outline with this new knowledge that I had. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and and honestly, my outline is so boring. It's just a word doc of a little bit of what happens in each chapter. Um, and I, I like Save the Cat and I like Story Genius and I like Romancing the Beat Story genius, I love for character work. And then um, Save the Cat and Romancing the Beat, I love for like the overarching beat structure. Yeah. Um, but again, it's it's more of like very vague beats to me, like kind of just consecutive where they might hit, but there's always stuff missing in between. So I just kind of go with my gut to try to figure that out. And then I throw in like all kinds of self-indulgences, like whatever... <laughs> I want to read about on the page or I want to write about what makes me excited. Um, so anyway, that was really long. <laughs> no, it was good. There's lots how, of good info in there. <laughs> how do you revise? So for me, it really depends on if I am revising something that my editor hasn't looked at yet, or mm. if it's like, like if I'm revising a draft that my editor has given me notes and feedback on, I have, I make a very specific plan because she's given me very specific things that I need to fix or that I need to work on. Yeah. So in that case, I make like a really detailed schedule for myself. I know which chapters I need to work on when and kind of I do it that way. But when I'm just revising something, like I'm about to be revising this fantasy trash fire that I've been not working on for, for forever. Um, but so what I've been doing is because I don't really edit while I go. Um, so what I do is, especially because I don't plot and especially because for me, this fantasy is kind of like a new genre. What I've been doing is just keeping a list in my trusty notebook of all the things that I know I need to go back and layer in. And so yeah. I just make notes on that as I'm writing, you know, so I'll get to a scene and something will come up and I'll be like, oh, in order for this scene to work, I need to go back to this chapter and add this in. 
Otherwise, that doesn't make sense. And so I just keep a, like a running list of all the stuff that I know that I need to do. And that'll be like my first round of revisions. And then once I feel like everything I I need to have on the page is on the page, then I typically will print it out and do edits on like a hard copy. And that's when I'll add in all the things that I sort of like want to add. So I'll find those moments where I'm like, you know, there could be more banter here or there could be more tension here. And, you know, like, the, I don't know, for me, I find it easier when it's on paper to find those moments where I'm like, okay, this needs more. Um, and then I just go back and layer it in. So I have like a multi sort of step process um, that mostly works for me. I don't know. We'll see how it goes with this fantasy because I haven't really done this before, but <laughs> that's the plan. We'll see how that all pans out. <laughs> no, and um, your fantasy is amazing. It's going to be incredible. Yeah. And I, I'm sure your revision process will be very similar, but um, I, I do the same thing as I'm going through yeah. and like, um, I'll, I'll have like a running list of what needs to happen. I think at some point you just kind of have to read through at one point yeah. and like make all the notes. If there's a specific mm -hmm. thread, um, like say the, there's one side character that I need to focus on their relationship. I, what I have done is I've gone through I've done a read just for that relationship marked everywhere where it occurs or is thought about or is mentioned or could be thought about and mentioned in the draft. And then I'll go back and do a pass just for that. Yeah, um, that's smart. And that happens with other elements too, but yeah, a lot of the time it's chaos. Like I've got notes yeah. in whatever notebook I can find. I've got them in my notes app. I'll think of something in the <laughs> middle of the night you know, and totally. put it on my phone. And then mm -hmm. it's like, oh, when I know a draft is done, it's when all those notes have been deleted or crossed yeah. off or and it's yeah. like, oh, okay, finally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And to me, then that, um, that signals that like, I get to do more of the fun stuff at that point. Yeah. You cleaning know? up, making yeah. it pretty. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And finding the moments that I want to build more on, not just like the moments that I'm like, okay, this needs to be there, but like, mm. this is the stuff that I, that I want to add in. Um, yeah. We need to wrap up or are you good? No, I'm good. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So our next question, this is a really hard one. I actually made a list ahead of time because I knew I was going to forget them all in the moments. Um, but somebody asked us for our underrated reads and this is tricky because I feel like anytime you see this question on social media, people post responses and I'm like, that that's not underrated. Like what are you talking <laughs> about? But I think that that's maybe we have a different perspective on it because we're so steeped in the genre that, you know, we've heard of all the books. So maybe yeah. ones that seem underrated to other people, we wouldn't necessarily agree. Did you think of any or do you want me to do mine? I'm so sorry. I'm fully relying on you <laughs> okay. for this question because no, totally. Fine. It, it was one of those moments where like even now, like leading up to today, I'm like, my brain is completely blank on this. <laughs> okay. So um, one of my favorite books from last year was For the Love of the Bard by Jessica Martin. It is every Shakespeare nerd's dream. So it takes place in this town that does, and it's unfortunately not a real town, that every summer does this whole like Shakespeare festival. 
And so there's just like Shakespeare, nerdy, so many jokes. I just loved it so much. And it is um, like a second chance romance with the girl comes back to the town for like the summer festival and, you know, meets up with the guy that like she had a crush on in high school. And um, I just loved every moment of it. I seriously, when I finished reading the book, I went and it was like, how do I get to this town? And I was like, oh, this is not real. (gasps) (laughs) Wow. And I had a moment where I was like, oh, I'm sad now because I wanted to go to this like Shakespeare festival. That's Um, like the ultimate world building compliment. I was, yeah, heartbroken. Um, the other one I won't say too much about because I know I've talked about it on the podcast before, but Midnight Duet by Jen Comfort, mm-hmm. which is the gender-swapped modern-day Phantom of the Opera retelling. It's perfection. Jen's voice is just phenomenal. I'm obsessed with her. I am now stalking her. I will be hunting <laughs> her down at StimulitCon and yes. forcing her to be my friend. <laughs> I was so excited when I saw that she's coming. Oh, I'm so excited. And then I think um, other authors that I just love that I wish would get more kudos. Um, I'm obsessed with Sonia Hartle. I love Heartbreak for Hire. I love Rexy. We've talked about that book before. Um, She's a genius. And she needs to be getting all the acclaim because her books are just like so perfect. Love her. Um, okay. And I don't know how to say Carrie's last name. I'm so sorry. I think it's Carrie Rhea. It's R-E-A. I don't know if that's right. Mm. I apologize. It's probably wrong. I'm sorry, Carrie. Um, so Carrie wrote The Wedding Ringer and Lucy on the Wild Side, both of which are just absolutely delightful. Just so funny and sweet. And Lucy on the Wild Side will totally make you cry. It's just, ugh. So good. Love her. And then Julie, too, I think also needs to get a lot of kudos because her books are just also delightful. And so just like, I don't know, they just give me really good L.A. vibes, which I'm always here for. Mm-hmm. Um, and Julie is an amazing human being. So absolutely. Well. And, you know, um, someone else I want to see, like, hit that viral spot is um, Annette Christie. Oh, yes. Love her. The rehearsals and um, for twice, for twice in, my life. in my life. So yeah. cute. And she also yeah. has a really great YA on Amazon Audible. Oh, I think fun. it's called. Oh, dang it. My mind is blanking. Love her, though. She's amazing. Yes. Okay. Um. All right. We got a couple of fun questions. So one question was, if you could meet with any author for coffee, who would you meet? And then also, what would your drink be that you ordered? This is so hard to answer because I want to have coffee with everyone. I know. Okay, you go first, though. Okay, so um, I feel like this is a little bit of a cheat, but I, (laughs) (laughs) I have not met one of my pitch wars mentors alexa martin in person um so we obviously were worked together on my very very first book before even leaf and um did the whole pitch wars process we've been friends since then 
but she is all over the place, that one. And I could never get her to come to California. And I have not yet been able to travel to meet her in person. So if I could have coffee with Alexa, that would be fantastic because I love her the most. And I just want to give her a big in-person hug um, because she's amazing. And typically my coffee order is just a vanilla latte. I'm pretty boring. (laughs) (laughs) I love Alexa Martin's book so much. Oh, she's amazing. Um. I really love this question. It made me dig deep. I, I, I'm telling you. And it also makes me very emotional because a lot of the people who I would want to meet and have coffee with, I already have. I know. I already do. And like, I mean, like today's guests would have been high up on my list. <laughs> I know. And it's just like, it's incredible. Like it's, in, it, yeah. it, it, it will, this journey will never not baffle me. Um. But, okay, this might be a surprise to a lot of people because it's outside of my genre, but I would absolutely love to sit and have coffee with Holly Black. Um, So back in like 2017, I, it was the first time I got to see Jenny L. Howe in person. Um, And we had been like critique partners for a few years at that point, but I flew out uh, to Boston and we went to the Boston teen author festival at that point, both of us. Yeah, it was so cool. We got to meet Rachel Lynn Solomon for the first time. And it was just so cool. And we were totally geeking out. Um, and Samantha Eaton as well, who is an amazing horror indie horror author, um, and one of my dear critique partners and friends, but we all went and the whole point of like, this festival was Jenny was like, Holly Black is going to be here. Will you come? And I was like, well, first I'm coming to hang out with you because I want to see your face. And then second, I was like, Holly Black, absolutely. So we went and I was, I've never been rendered speechless like that. Like when I went up to Holly's table and I ended up bringing like a piece of art for her to sign because I was traveling Um, And I think my friend had like borrowed my book at that time. And um, so she signed it. And all I could say was thank you. Like I couldn't say anything else. My (laughs) heart was, I'll never forget hearing my heart pounding in my ears. Um, But it was so dumb because I I could have said anything. Like I came all the way here from California (laughs) to see you or like, you know, anything. But the darkest part of the forest I'll never forget was a huge turning point for me in my writing journey. Um, Maybe it was one of the first like queer, it was a side story with um, like a side, like side characters in the book. Well, kind of, I I don't want to give any spoilers if you haven't read it, but there's a, there's a queer love story in the book and it was beautiful. And um the main character has like all this childhood trauma and the way that Holly just dug that out on the page, just that book changed everything for me. It was the way that I realized I wanted to portray feelings on the page and the way that Holly captures like these tiny little quirky details that build the entire world and aesthetic of the book. Like I just salivate over like that is what I want to write like I'm so into those little quirky details um 
Anyway, so I would definitely have – God, I keep talking so much. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I would love to sit with Holly and talk with her, and I would – I always order a lavender latte if I go Ooh. out because um, they're hard to get in my town, and I love them so much. <laughs> Amazing. Um, I had that same kind of moment when I went to a book signing with Christina Lauren and Sally Thorne at the Ritz Bodice and I totally like talking to Sally Thorne I was just like oh my god this woman probably thinks that I'm a complete idiot because <laughs> I was just no. like could not form a complete sentence um so yeah hopefully I'll beat her again one day and I won't make such a fool of myself <laughs> yeah I mean I get really starstruck it's it's tough and it's I tough know. now because it's like technically we're colleagues which I'll never accept like I'll never no. accept that I'm colleagues with <laughs> you amazing people but like um you know it's weird (laughs) it's just weird weird to like fangirl over people that are technically your peers and you're like (laughs) yeah 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 I'll never I'll never not feel like somehow I just bamboozled my way (laughs) (laughs) oh I feel that deep in my soul (laughs) um Okay, we did get one final question, which was for me about whether or not, whether or not right on cue has a gray sweatpants scene. (laughs) And unfortunately, it does not. Um, But, but it has way more sex scenes than anything that I have ever written before. So I don't think you'll be disappointed in this steam department. Um, you get more of what's under the sweatpants is what you're yeah. saying. <laughs> yes, there, are, <laughs> there are fewer clothes in general. <laughs> um, now I'm like, okay, maybe I'll write it into book four. Maybe I'll do like in every other. Like you can't do it in every book, you know. <laughs> that might be too much. <laughs> <laughs> Would you consider gray sweatpants a trope? I don't know. I feel like it's become one. It pops up a lot. Especially when you start looking for it, pops up. Um, <laughs> when you start paying attention to it, it's in a lot of books. <laughs> yeah. We're here for it every time. I love it. Never making those cookies again. But. Long live the gray that. sweatpants cookies, though. Yeah. So if you got one, like feel special because <laughs> never never again <laughs> i'll never uh forget your lovely uber driver who accepted <laughs> one. who your lovely husband gave a gray sweatpants cookie to yeah we did a little bit of drinking after my event <laughs> <laughs> at meet cute bookshop um which is why you should all come to see me litcon because there will not be gray sweatpants cookies, but there is a bar and something tells me <laughs> we'll be having some adventures in the hotel bar. Yes. And if you don't drink, that's okay. You can just laugh yeah, at those just, who do. <laughs> you can just watch the rest of us make fools of ourselves. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh... As it should be. All right. Uh, we have held you captive long enough. I know most of you are like, please stop talking and get to the reason why we're listening to this podcast, um, <laughs> which is fine. We won't take offense to that today because we have like the most amazing dream come true when we sat down and made a list of like, these are like our pie in the sky 
best case scenario people we could ever have on the podcast. I think these guys were right at the top of the list. Yeah. And here they are. Enjoy. And it was such a lovely conversation. They're such lovely people. Um, so yeah. Thank you to Christina Lauren for hanging out with us. Yes, they're amazing. And uh, we will be right back with our interview with Christina Lauren. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for being with us today. Um, Fallon and I are um, very excited to have an incredible writing duo with us this morning. Um, We may have been texting each other all week, just like, oh my gosh, we got to meet Christina and Lauren. And we're just very excited. So today we have Christina Lauren. And Christina Lauren is the combined pen name of longtime writing partners and best friends, Christina Hobbs and Lauren Billings. They are the New York Times, U.S. Today, and number one internationally best-selling authors of The Unhoneymooners, Love and Other Words, The Soulmate Equation, and Something Wilder. Their new novel, The True Love Experiment, will be released in May, which is this month. How are you? Welcome. How are you feeling? Uh, we're so I mean first of all we're so excited to be here and it's always the same when a book is coming out it's like exciting and stressful and kind of frenetic but yeah Yeah. we're doing great yes yes we are beyond excited to have you here um we're gonna try to keep the fangirling to a minimum uh (laughs) but I have to say like I do not think I would be writing romance if it were not for your books um, so thank you for being amazing and providing us with so many wonderful stories that I feel like are just getting better and better. Um, I'm obsessed with true love experiment. Like <laughs> I have never felt so seen before in a book. It was just yeah. so, so magical. And it feels like just a love letter to the romance community in general. And I, it just was like, the nicest, warmest hug ever. So thank you for another brilliant book. Oh, thank Thank you for saying that. I mean, honestly, that's the nicest compliment another author could give is that, you know, we are part of your journey in some way. And um, yeah, this book is absolutely our love letter to romance authors, romance readers, and also just to fangirls, you know? Mm Oh, we love it. Um, so can you tell our listeners a little bit about the book for those who haven't picked it up yet, but will obviously be doing so immediately as soon as they're done listening to this? <laughs> sure. So um, this is Lauren's voice. <laughs> I'm like, I usually do the summaries, but I've been talking a lot already. So no. do you want to give the overall summary? Okay, okay, okay. So this book is about Felicity Fizzy Chen. She's a romance novelist. And she realizes at the beginning of the book that, she, oh, this is Christina. Hello. Um, <laughs> that she has lost her joy. Uh, Connor Prince is our hero and he is a documentary filmmaker and he gets tasked with um, creating what his boss calls candy. So a reality dating show that's going to like draw in viewers and ad revenue and stuff. And he gets this idea. He sees, um, sees Fizzy. He gets this idea. What if he can make the queen of romance fall in love on TV. And so Fizzy being Fizzy decides to go along with it. He'll meet her demands. And one of those is that he casts the heroes like romance novel archetypes. So we have to see if Fizzy is going to find one of her soulmates um, in front of the camera or behind. Just so brilliant. The whole setup for the show is so brilliant. And I'm like, can we please 
have this in real life. <laughs> I, I actually had a dream one morning. I woke up thinking somebody had optioned right to the dating show. And in my head, I was like, oh my God, this is so brilliant. And it took me a second to remember that like the technology the show is based on is not actually a thing. <laughs> <laughs> There's that small problem. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I love when our brains, like if we're so deep into a writing project um, or just coming off of one, our brains just like mull it over in our sleep. That always happens to me. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I love it. So, um, I know Fizzy obviously is a very popular side character in Soulmate Equation. So did you guys like know going into it that you were going to write her story or did just just come about because everybody was like so obsessed with her? Yeah, it's certainly the latter. I mean, we <clears throat> we wrote the Soulmate Equation that came out in 2021 and we went out on a virtual book tour and we thought that was that like you know, it was Jess and River's story and they got their happily ever after. And Fizzy was a wonderful part of that as the community is. Um, and on every single stop we made on that tour, reader, a reader would ask at every single event, like, hey, is Fizzy getting her own book? And we hadn't planned something for her. We hadn't planned to write her. And I think if we had, we probably would have left ourselves a little bit more runway in terms of... Um, you know, who she is as an author. I think in the soulmate equation, she provides that comedy relief. She's sort of dating all the time and she's gets fascinated with the, the DNA matchmaking technology because she kind of wants to know if like a, a base match feels different than a silver or a gold match. Like, is there genetic compatibility, something she can feel on the date? And so we, you know, we don't want romance authors to be seen as like sex crazed or constantly obsessing about dating and I think there's some things that we would have probably handled a little differently had we planned to write her book. But in fact, it worked out really well because we didn't want to write her story unless we had a good idea for it. <clears throat> Sorry. And so I think when this idea came to us, we were like, this is actually perfect. Hopefully we can get her right on page. And then once we, you know, started writing, she came out so easily. She was just from the minute we started writing, Fizzy was right there. And then it was like the other challenge kind of surprised us, which is how do we write a hero who deserves her? And how mm. does Connor become that person that Fizzy would choose? If Fizzy who has dated everybody, how is he going to be the person that she chooses at the end? So, but I think we did it. <laughs> um, I love Connor. Never have I yes. fallen so fast for a romance hero. Like, but the first, I think it was like his first line. I was like, that's it. <laughs> I love him. Yeah, he's fantastic. And I just, their banter is just so, so yeah. much fun throughout the entire book, which I think is something that you guys are always really good at. Um, but in this one in particular, I was like, Fizzy is just like so fun and like, you know, she says the things that I think a lot of us are thinking all the time, but wouldn't necessarily say. And I just love that about her, that she's just like so unabashedly herself um, all the time. It's just brilliant. How was the experience um, as romance authors writing a romance author? Um, it's funny because, you know, we always say that our characters do not speak for us in books but when it came to fizzy i sort of feel like she like especially like her conversations with 
Jess and the way she feels about romance and her um, readers and fangirling and joy and all of those things are probably the clearest hour like voices as Lauren and Christina have ever been in a book. So hopefully you can tell that like we are passionate about the same things that like Fizzy is passionate about. And um, my husband had said uh, we were with Lo- my husband and I were with Lo and her husband this weekend um, for his birthday. And my husband was like, you know, I've been here for like a lot of your guys's book releases, obviously all of them. Um, but he was like, I've never heard you guys like refer to a book be- by like the character before. We're like, you know, it's Fizzy's day or it's Fizzy's book or whatever. And I think it's because she feels so real to us. Um, we just, we just love her so much and relate to her on so many levels. We're not nearly as cool as Fizzy. Nobody's going to be asking us to be like on a TV show, but, um, we just like are so proud. We love her so much. Yeah. Yeah. I think that really comes across on the page as you're reading it for sure. Yeah. And you captured so much of the joy of the community and what we celebrate and what we discuss and what we stand for. And I just, I love it so much. You did an excellent job. Thank you. Yeah. I think um, one of the relatable things that Fizzy is going through is she's at this moment where she's sort of like struggling with writer's block. She doesn't really know, you know, where to go next. Um, And I think she has that conversation where she talks about how she tells her agent, like, you know, maybe I just like, want to be done. And maybe that's like all I have to give and that's all I have in me. And I think that, of course, as a writer is an extremely relatable position to be in. Um, From an outside perspective, it would seem that you two do not ever struggle with writer's block because you produce so many amazing books so quickly. Um, But I'm sure that that's not actually the case. So is that something that you guys have faced? And like, how do you deal with that and move on from that and sort of push through that block? So I think there's different forms of writer's block. And I think the kind that some people face is where they just, they either don't have an idea, they don't have a right idea, and they don't kind of know where to dive in and start. Um, Our issue is never that we don't have ideas. It's that sometimes it's not the right idea. And so, you know, we often, we say a lot, like we sometimes don't know how to do it the right way until we do it the wrong way. And a lot of times that means we do it the wrong way, like three or four times before we start the book, the way it's supposed to be written. In fact, that's one thing that we're dealing with now. And I think part of that is, you know, just to be like totally honest is I think, you know, Fizzy's book was really a joy to write and it was, it felt sort of effortless and we missed them as soon as we were done. We kind of weren't finished with them. And so now we're like, we're thinking a lot about what the book that comes next from us is and how that reads and who the characters are. And so the book that we're writing, I mean, we're on our fourth draft of this where I'm saying like, we wrote 30,000, we threw them out. We wrote 45,000, we threw them out. We wrote another 30,000, we threw them out. Like we've written like a hundred thousand words of a book that we're just never going to use. And it's because we can't figure out these characters and the premise. So I wouldn't say that we're ever in a place where we can't create words and we like aren't writing or we don't have ideas. It's that sometimes we're writing ourselves into a corner or into a wall and we get to a certain point in a book where we're like, this isn't right. And we have learned to trust our gut, but it sucks that sometimes our gut doesn't speak up until we're 30,000 words into a manuscript. Um, but now I think we're really cruising on the idea. It's just, it's, you know, it's like a little bit 
demoralizing to do that so many times. And this is the first time it's happened with that many drafts. But I will say like, if we have a block, it's that. It's that we're not doing it right and we have to figure out what right is. And I will say I had like kind of a crisis of confidence in like 2016 where um, Lo's such a beautiful writer. And I really was going through this thing where I was like, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Like if if I was supposed to be doing this, shouldn't it be easier? And um, we started writing Josh and Hazel's Guide to Not Dating. And that book was really like amazing to me because I realized like, no, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And that sometimes, you know, it is hard and I had to find kind of ways to work around it and stuff. So um, it's just funny that like a writing career is so many things and full of ups and downs and you just have to like figure out your way to get through it. Therapy. it's usually the answer somewhere in there (laughs) yeah um I love that what you just said though Christina about like it should it should feel easier because I do think that um yeah that's like a common feeling and I think you know maybe I mean obviously Courtney and I are still very you know early in our careers but I feel like I've gotten to this point where I'm like okay, I've done this a few times now. Like it should be, it should be easier. I should know how to do this. And you have those moments where you sit there and it's not easy and it, you know, you do have to push through. And, um, I feel like that's a really relatable feeling of like, if I were meant to be doing this, like, why am I not better at it? Or why is it not coming to me easier? Um, but yeah, you just have to get the writer's brain. Well, I think it's, it's really easy to look at other people and think, I should be able to do this, but like brains don't work that way. My brain doesn't work the way that Lowe's does. My process is not the same as Lowe's. That doesn't mean it's not good. It's maybe not as efficient, Um, but like every single person writes different. And I'm sure there are people who would look at me and be surprised by that or look at me and think that I'm super fast. And so it's just so like, it's, it's just all relative and, um, our like PR, um, person, Kristen Dwyer, she just always is like, you have to run your own race. And it's, it's just like, so insanely true. Even like with Lo and I, it just, it is. Is there something, I guess I had to phrase this question, but is there a point where you kind of sense each other where you're at and how do you help each other through as a team? I mean, that's a really good question because you know, we met in 2009 when we were both writing fan fiction and we met in person July um, at Comic-Con that year, San Diego Comic-Con. And in August, we decided to write like a short one-shot fan fiction thing together. And then by September, we decided to write a book together. So like, we didn't know what that would entail. We didn't know how hard it would be. And I'm glad because I think had we known, we would have been like, hell no. Um, But, you know, what I'm saying is that our friendship really grew in tandem with the working partnership. And so we, we were sort of learning about each other as people at the same time as we were learning about each other as writers. And so I don't actually know if either of us could carefully explain like how we came to be or how things work so well with us. I just know that they do. And part of that, I think, is that we don't have individual egos so much. It's it's like we've always been Christina Lauren as writers. And so 
I mean, for a short, like each of us for a few months, we were fan fiction writers on our own, but like, really, we've only been Christina Lauren. So, you know, that, that partnership has been just as important as the friendship, which has been just as important as partnership. Right. So like when I see her struggling, I'm not thinking about it necessarily from a, like, um, we have a deadline point of view. I'm thinking about it from like, you are, you know, one of the, you know, most important people in my life. And like, I want to help you through this piece. And she feels the same way. But we also have learned through the time we've been writing together that like, we usually tend to freak out around the same time every book, not each other, but like, she freaks out more at the beginning, where she like, doesn't know the characters, isn't really sure how to dive in. Like she doesn't, she has a harder time finding an entry point and it takes her a few chapters to get their voice. I tend to find their voice pretty easily and I don't, and I'm very excited and I move fast at the beginning, but I get about like halfway to two thirds of the way in and I decide that the book is awful and nobody's ever <laughs> going to read it. And like, I don't know how to be a writer and I don't know what I'm doing. And every word I write is boring and like sluggish. And so it's nice that we can kind of anticipate that. And so it's almost like we know it's coming. And so we're like, it's not even a thing anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. I think the things that are, it's like the, the curveballs that surprise us, like where we're really struggling to find the right idea or to get it down. Right. You know, we just talk, like mm-hmm. we talk all the time and we talk it through and we're not afraid to be like, okay, we got to throw out another 30,000 words. Like that's a really, a lot of people I think might push through and just like try and make it work and like, you know, force it. Um, and I think having both of us be able to say, this is going to be hard, but we can start over. Mm -hmm. Um, just talking. You know, what's funny is like, I don't know. I was just thinking this. I don't know when the switch in our relationship happened because like, we were friends, like our friendship grew along with our co-authorship. But I think at some point we sort of became like, you are my person Mm -hmm. as opposed to like, you are my co-author on my friend. And Lo can always tell when I'm going through something, she can read me so well. She's like, okay, I know exactly what's going on with you. And it's so, this is why when people are like, I want to be co-authors, we're sort of like, you have to know what that like can of worms is before you open it because it becomes so much more, at least in our case, than just like someone you write books with. It really is like we are married and have children and have this entire thing together. Yeah. I was just going to say, it's almost like a marriage, like the, like the commitment that you're making, like both on a personal level, but also on a business level is like, you know, the ties that bind you. Like those are never going away, but I yeah. love that you guys found each other. That's so amazing. Yeah, me too. It's crazy. It's like, what are the chances? You know, we were just reading each other's stories on the I internet. know. In one of the biggest fandoms on the internet, and we were like, hey, you will be mine. And now we are, oh, sorry, now we are literally like, not all, not all soulmates are romantic and we are so insanely twisted in each other's lives. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I love that though. And I think, um, it continues to produce really amazing books. So thank you. Thank you. I love that. And um, it reminds me so much of how like songwriters meet and then form this like connection and produce amazing songs. And I don't know, it reminded me of, um, I can't even remember their names at this point, but yeah, I don't know. Even watching like Daisy Jones was cool. Just seeing them connect (laughs) and write songs and, 
I don't know, just hearing stories about how songwriters will meet at a conference or a convention or a workshop and then have this instant connection and produce amazing work, but also form relationships. I think you have to be really like vulnerable on a, on a strange level to be Mm -hmm. like true collaborators with somebody. And I think that maybe that's what it is. And I also think the ego is a big part of it. I mean, I think having our name be Christina Lauren versus Christina Hobbs and Lauren Billings Mm -hmm. has been a really big part of, of it. One, because it's a separate person, right? Like neither of us is Christina Lauren. So it's sort of like the name that we can say that isn't us. That's just this thing that we do together. Um, So, you know, criticism for Christina Lauren is not criticism for me or criticism for her. It's like, yeah, you know, like people can critique these books, but also I think because it's this shared ego, you know, there's not, I, no, nobody knows what the Lauren sections are. Nobody knows what the Christina sections are. It's like, it mat- so it matters to us that we write the best book, but not that like my stuff is, you know, better or whatever. Do you know what I'm saying? So I think there's a vulnerability in sharing your early words, but there's also a trust and a safety in knowing that like everything we put out, we're putting out as Christina Lauren. And so, you know, that is like, it's this thing we made together. Yeah. That lady has her own thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's amazing. Um, okay. So can you remind us what number book is this published for you guys? So this book will be our 29th published book, but we have more written. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Okay. Incredible. Um, for the writers, the aspiring writers, the early in their career writers that are listening, um, do you have any good kind of go-to advice to, I mean, I feel like the longevity of your career is like what we are all, you know, aiming for and hoping for and sort of, you know, how do you get there and how do you hang in that long and how do you, you know, keep going and producing so much great work? Not that you can boil that into one or two simple sentences, but... (laughs) I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, actually, because I feel like there's always going to be an author out there who's doing what you wanted to be doing or has, you know, some sort of event that you want to have or has some hits a list at a place that you want. You know what I mean? And I think those benchmarks are great to make a bucket list for. But what really matters is the book that you write. Right. Hmm. And so anyone who's starting out, like, I wouldn't necessarily look at a certain author and be like, I want that career. I think what you need to do is look at the book and say, I want to make people feel this way, the way that this book made me feel. And so you end up writing the story that you want to read and you are less concerned about what that book does in the world than you are how it impacts a specific reader or a specific person or yourself, right? Christina and I are super lucky because we just write for each other. So as long as I like make her laugh or swoon, I've done my job because I know that her taste is like pretty commercially, you know, successful and same for her with what she writes. So if you find somebody that you trust, you know, find yourself a reader that gives you feedback, but really just write the book that you want to read as a reader. Don't worry about what anyone else is doing. If even if there's a mermaid book that you want to write and it's already been done, like it hasn't been done by you. So write that book if you want to read it. Um, And I would just say prayers are hills and valleys. They just Mm -hmm. are like 
we've had books that came out and were amazing. We've had books that have come out that are quieter. And the only thing you can do is like enjoy the hills and work through the valleys and uh, run your own race. Because like Lo said, there's always somebody who has something that you want. But guess what? There are people who want what you have too. And you just have to remember to just like run your own race. It's really the only thing you control. Mm -hmm. I so admire. Yeah. And I so admire just how grounded you are and how joyful you are about the genre and your work. Oh, thank you. Yeah. We love it. Romance is the best. I mean, it's, it's, you know, so many women, so many positive people. Um, It's such a like powerful force in fiction. Yeah. I think we have like the ability to make sort of the most societal change because we have such voracious readers and we publish so quickly and we're having these hard conversations on the page. So I just, we're really proud to be here and like, you know, I, I, I genuinely think we want to make our readers proud of the books that we put out and we want to just have, give people some, some joy. And know that they deserve the same happily ever afters they see in our books. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we wanted to touch on another fun topic. Um, So in the True Love Experiment, there is this amazing band um, called Wonderland. And there is so much joy around the just enjoyment of reality TV. And we wanted to know um, if those things were inspired by existing bands or reality TV or if there's just a current, you know, fandom or show or music that you're just really enjoying right now and just want to rave about. Well, if anyone, if you have read our acknowledgements in this book or people listening, if they read them, we say that um, Wonderland is not BTS, which is our favorite group, but it is inspired by the like joy and inspiration that they give us and just like millions of people. Like we are in LA right now. We leave on book tour Monday for a two week tour. And we are in LA for two nights of concerts because (laughs) this is the thing that like fills our cup and brings us joy. And we believe so strongly in like loving the thing that you love, finding the thing that like fills up your cup and gives you joy and being like fiercely protective of it. And, um, so we are like, we are a huge army, which is like BTS's fandom. And, um, our favorite thing in the world to do is concerts. Like that is our favorite thing to do together. And like maybe ride tower of terror. <laughs> I would say, I would say like write books, yeah. concerts, <laughs> tower of terror. Tower yeah. of terror. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> That's the best. Oh my gosh. Um, did you guys watch some reality dating shows when you were prepping to write this book you know what's funny is i so i love survivor and alone like those are the kinds of reality shows i love i love watching like big expedition races like from my couch with a blanket and a bag of chips like i am the person who's like good job and i'm just like i'm hungry um but I, you know, I'm not, I was not a big dating show person. And Christina tends to get kind of stressed out watching reality TV. She's just like, people making bad decisions. I love Survivor, but you know, that's a much more tame version of bad decisions. Yeah. So, you know, I, but I, you know, we of course recognize that we couldn't write a, a book about a reality dating show without knowing kind of how they work. 
Although I will say we did write the first draft without a ton of research because we wanted to go in like writing what we would think would be fun to watch versus like what the, you know, people who watch those shows would expect. And we do we- sort of break most traditional dating show rules, like that they are aren't sequestered. Yeah. And, you know. But so when we went through and we had, we were editing, we like had at, between our drafting and our editing, we watched a ton. We watched like Love is Blind and Love Island and uh, Love Inferno. Isn't that the one, the Korean one that was adorable? Yeah. And we watched um, Perfect Match and all of these shows, you know, and um, and that really informed how we approached edits and stuff. And they're really fun. Like I totally see the appeal of them and they're candy. They're candy and they're, they're <laughs> joyful, you know, um, and you know, they're messy and all of that. But I, I think they're, you know, we like, we had a lot of fun learning about the genre for sure. Yeah. I want to say something and I don't Okay, I hope it tracks, but <laughs> the message of BTS I feel resonates so strongly with the message of the romance genre. Yes, absolutely. Like I, there was this one video I watched um where they were just talking about how they hope their music helps everyone be inspired to like love themselves. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, like, what more could you want as a comparison to, you know, the happily ever afters that we write? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's, that's such an, an amazing observation. And I think it's very true. Like, you know, BTS is all about loving yourself, sort of where you are and who you are. And, and knowing that like they as a band love us too, which I think is interesting because, you know, they have millions and millions and millions of fans, but Christina and I absolutely feel like connected to them as artists. And I think that's one of the ways that they're so successful is that they make their fans really feel seen. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of romance authors want their readers to feel seen and loved in the same way, where it's like, we're writing these songs for you and we are writing these books for you. And um, it's like a way to connect with people across your words. So I absolutely agree. I was thinking too, so like, Kim Namjoon, who's like the leader, he did this, like, they do these things, they call them ending mints at like the end of their concerts, where it's like they say their little thing. And he was saying, if, if our music or our pictures or our lyrics or whatever can take your pain from 100 to 99 to 98, then we feel like we've done our job. And when people ask us, what is like the one thing you want from your, you know, your readers to take from your books, we're like, if we can give you a tiny escape from reality, just like a little, like an hour where you like laugh or cry or swoon and get to disappear into the pages of the book. We feel like we've done our job. That's it. And you absolutely accomplished that. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, is there something that you are working on next that you can give us a little hint of? Well, we do have um, on August 1st, we're releasing an audio original. It's a um, follow-up to The Unhoneymooners. Um, it has a full cast recording. It's got Harry Shum Jr. as the character Brody and Jessica Marie Garcia as uh, Amy, who's Olive's twin sister. And the two of them um, sort of surprise plan Ethan and Olive's wedding. And that one was really fun to write. So that comes out August 1st and it'll be on audio platforms everywhere. We're super excited for that. And then we do have two books coming out in 2024, which we have not announced either yet. Um, 
and or the title and the concept of each. So we're super excited to talk more about that. But yeah, we're just, you know, we're always writing, we're always doing this. And it really, you guys know, it's like the best job. It's so fun to be able to just write books and tell mm-hmm. stories. So yeah. Just make shit up for a living. I know, right? <laughs> Let us do this. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Speaking the adult version of like taking your Barbie and Ken doll and smashing their faces together. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's so true. So amazing. Uh, well, before we let you go, can you please tell our listeners where they can find you online? And if you've got, I know you have a big tour coming up, you don't have to give us all the details, but you know, some highlights of what's coming up for you. Yes. So um, you can find us. We're mostly on Instagram. So Christina Lauren on Instagram, we have Twitter where we reply and stuff. Uh, it's also Christina Lauren. And then we have a website that is christinalaurenbooks.com. We also have Facebook, but um, we aren't on it as much, but we do have a Facebook group called CeeLo and Friends. And then we are going on tour. We leave um, Monday the 14th and it is mostly sold out. But if you are in Colorado, or Colorado or St. Louis. There are still tickets there, but every one of our tour stops, if you go to our website, christinalaurenbooks.com on our events page, you can order copies still um, from, you know, you can get the true love experiment or some of our backlist and we will sign those. And plus we have special uh, true love experiment art that we had done that we will put inside that book as we sign and hug it. And you can still get those. Do you hug each of the books you sign? Obviously. Yes. Oh my god! <laughs> I love, I love that so much. Amazing. That is so special. Stop. Oh, that's cute. All right. Well, Christina and Lauren, this has been a literal dream. Thank you so much for being here um, and for generously sharing your time with us. Um, Courtney and I are going to go collapse in a puddle of fangirling. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. This was very fun. Yeah. Thanks for having us. It was nice to talk to you too. Oh, thank you. And listeners, thank you so much for tuning in and we will chat with you more next week. Thank you so much for listening to Happy to Meet Cute. If you enjoyed our podcast, we would love it so much if you would give us a follow on social media. We are at Happy to Meet Cute on Instagram. And also, if you could please leave a review and subscribe, that would be amazing. If you would like to follow your host, you can find Courtney at court underscore k k a e on all social media platforms and you can find me fallon ballard at fallon ballard everywhere you imbibe your social media if you would like to buy any of the books mentioned in this episode you can find links in the show notes and a special shout out to zachary kibby and matt ballard for our amazing theme song thank you so much for tuning in and we hope to see you next time